And we're live. Happy Friday, everyone. Today, well, let's see, it's June 14th. I'm Brady Volp, founder of the Volp Firm and Nimble This, and we're back with another episode of Get Your Tech On. We're going to talk about... Uh, we're going to talk about a presentation I gave at the Dakota Territory, and then we're going to focus on uh, John and I. So John's here with us again. We'll show you his mug in just a moment. We are in Angacom, uh, the big trade show in Germany that occurs every year in June. We'll talk a little bit about that and some of the things we saw. So first, let me uh, welcome back my guest, John Downey. John, how are you doing? Good to see you. Good, good. I'm on a much faster uh, connection. Uh, Spectrum, shout out to Spectrum, the old time water system in Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, 200 meg down, 15 meg up. So uh, I'm doing everything through the computer. <laughs> no satellite, uh, much faster reaction, obviously. Man, this is like a real treat. It's, there's no jerkiness. There, we can hear your voice. This is outstanding. I, for the first time, we probably won't get any complaints about your audio and video from our users. <laughs> So it is funny because, you know, in Germany, some people came up to me and they said, yeah, I've seen you in Google Hangout, really love what you guys are doing. Uh, I get to listen to it and, you know, get up to date with what's going on with Doxus. says, but man, your video is bad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I do the audio through the phone and it, I guess it never really, it should have occurred to me, but my video obviously is going to be slow as crap because it's coming through the uplink. Yeah, well, so, now, they get to see an HD now in, in uh, Germany. So people, probably, people probably can hear me talking, but the video coming through of my lips are probably like three seconds behind. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's good. You got, you got uh, good, uh, good video and good audio. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see you, man. Hey, I see it's uh, episode 48, so uh, happy almost, like, basically almost four 50, years. Yeah, almost 50 episodes coming up <laughs> yeah. soon. So, um, so I want to give a shout-out to... Um, the Dakota chapter, uh, SCTE Dakota chapter. I was there, um, uh, I think about two weeks before the Anga show and, uh, gave a presentation on, uh, a lot of things. It was proactive network maintenance. It was, uh, PNM and Doxus 3.1. These guys had, um, phenomenal turnout. Uh, also speaking after me, you can, you can see that, well, this is, you know, they, they gave me a nice little gift for present, presenting there. And then also after me, you can see the presentation back there. Um, Patrick Hunter from Charter gave a presentation on IP, and he did a phenomenal job because he, he basically just pr- broke down what it takes to send hi, just the letters H-I through email, you know, all, all the way, just, just the IP uh, data of it and uh, did a fantastic job because it's a it's a really difficult topic to to go through to do that but he also did a fantastic job after me and then uh, after after the morning presentation uh, they had a you know like a vendor day they had the cable games they had cable jeopardy these guys did a, just a fantastic job huge turnout so I want to give a big shout out big thumbs up to these guys for putting on an excellent vendors day and really appreciate them inviting me to be able to present and uh, participate in the whole day so fantastic job to those guys big big shout out to them yeah, very nice. I like to see Cisco's uh, sign right there. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So we had we had Cisco there, uh, but uh, I, I, there wasn't really many people there. So they <laughs> they did have a booth at the vendor day. Uh, just not a not a lot of people in the booth there, John. Yeah. So we could have used you. Yeah. I know I was, you were invited. I yeah, I know. I was supposed to be there with you, and uh, I had something going on that week, so I knew it wasn't going to work out. Yeah, it, it would have been, been a nice. good uh, good duo if you could have made it. So too bad you couldn't be there. 
<laughs> so, so next up, Angacom. I know you were at Angacom. We were talking about uh, traveling back and stuff like that. Uh, I have some slides from Angacom just for for people that, that haven't uh, haven't had an opportunity to be at Angacom before. But uh, let me let me cue those slides up here. So back here, coming into Angacom. So. Angacom, you know, if you've ever been to SCT Expo, the, the booths look a lot the same. The people are a lot the same. I would say the big difference between Angacom and SCT Expo is beer. There's a lot more beer <laughs> available Definitely. on there. Um, so, yeah, kind of. I, I think people might dress up a little bit more. So I'm in a sports jacket, which normally at the Expo, I, I don't have a sports jacket on. Uh, well, there's you and I. So we're, we visited your booth. And uh, I, I had a button-down shirt, so you knew it was dress up. Yeah, this, this is a big, big deal for you, man. So yeah, I mean, you guys were talking about low latency doxes. You're talking about three one R five, and and that was a big theme at the show: low latency doxes, uh, virtualization, R five, three one. I think those were like the big themes. Which I want, I do want to talk a little bit about low latency doxes uh, after after we get uh, through these slides here, because I think that's something mm -hmm. that was quite quite uh, popular. Uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to say about your node there. I think this was an yeah, important well, node for you. That, that's, that one actually had more traction than almost all the demos because it supports the flexible Mac architecture, FMA. That's um, what this little what you yellow see, thing that, is, right? Gold, yeah, that gold device is a prototype um, cloud-native software. Like I basically take the core, put it on an FPGA, plug it in with an, RP, an RPD and put it in a node. So basically it's like saying that's a CMTS right there. Yes. Inside how, a node. How much that how much does that gold plating cost on there? Is that like, <laughs> is that extra? Can I so, can I get it in just like uh, aluminum like uh, the Apple Watch? <laughs> and, and that's why it's prototype. It's uh it's actually a big heat sink and uh, there's even a fan built into that thing to offset that heat. I mean the reason why it's a prototype is one, you know, in the US we're still limited to 160 watts total for a node. And that extra uh, cloud native FPGA is jacking us up probably to 200 watts. So, I mean, it's something that would have to be cut down to an ASIC. Uh, but it's proving that you could basically do flexible Mac, Mac Phi, uh, and, or Mac architecture with remote Phi. And you basically turn a, CM, a CMTS into a, a node or a node into a CMTS. And, and did you hear the other news? The only vendor that was really doing a remote CMTS was Huawei, and they just decided to get out of it. Yeah, they had a much small. Huawei had a much smaller booth this year than they've had in the past. Yeah, they announced during the show that, that they they're were, getting out of it, out of out of CMTS altogether, or just out of the. I believe. I believe so. So dang, that's big news. I actually did not hear that news there. Yeah, yeah. So I bet you we can look it up right now, and you can find it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take your word for it. But that's that's <laughs> interesting news. So, okay, so your Mac Fi, you know, you should really have Johnny Ives to. Look at these camphored gold aluminum sides. This is the, and it goes talks to the cloud. And <laughs> can't do anything like him. But uh, so, so what does this talk to? It talks back to the head end, just to a switch. Then because this well, is the whole CMTS, uh, right? And and remember, your remote five basically replaces the head end, right? Yeah. All your all your all your RF is being created at the node. You know, everything that you would have in a head end is being created at the node. So it's digital back, you know, 10 gigabit Ethernet going into routers and switches. So, Metro Ethernet. So, so how much of this is smoke and mirrors, and when is this thing actually going to be available? Um, 
uh, I think it all comes down and I'm not a business guy or a sales guy, uh, which is great because then I don't have to like do sales and, you know, <laughs> and, and promise things that can't be delivered. I just look at solutions and technology, but I also realize that you don't deploy technology for the sake of technology. There has to be money behind it. So this would be more like, here's the idea. What's the supply and demand? If we had a big customer come up and say, oh, that's awesome. We're going to redo our HFC plant next year, and I'd like to incorporate this. Well, okay, we'll build it. So yeah. that's what I'm going to come down to. Same thing as John Chapman preaching at the SCTE Expo last year about uh, FDX plus one, where we could design a line extender with echo cancellation. Yeah. That's really to get the industry to bite, right, to say who wants to build this. Cisco's yeah. not going to build it but here's the information and here's what we could do for the industry question is who wants to jump on it who wants to make it is there margins for it yes or no yeah what uh, chapman was also talking about um like uh 20g or something wasn't that uh something that he has going on yeah it was uh three so you would hear the term three gigahertz taps so it would be uh, i think that term was hot like um hybrid active tap where the tap itself you can run three gigahertz down coax, but obviously not very far. But you could have taps that had active devices to bump the gain back up. And you could have uh, active taps, if you will. So we could get out to three gigahertz. So, you know, the push for ESD, extended spectrum DOCSIS, is 1.8. Because DOCSIS 3.1 had a May, uh, it had a must for 1.218 gigahertz. And it had a, uh, or a must, yeah. And then it had a May for 1.794 gigahertz. So most people say 1.8 gigahertz. ESD, extended spectrum doxis. But if you can do 1.8, maybe we should look at three gigahertz. And if we extend the downstream as far as we can down to three gigahertz, uh, granted, we can't go as far in coax, but we might be able to design uh, still kind of an HFC hybrid fiber coax network that's still cheaper than fiber to the home. And it's weird because I thought, you know, once you start changing out actives and taps and maybe replacing a little bit of coax, I don't know, uh, why not just do fiber to the home? But it's turning out that fiber to the home is still cost prohibitive if you had to put fiber into the house. Right. You know, you're talking about uh, right of ways. You're talking about uh, digging up someone's yard, synchronizing with their schedule to get into their house. There's a lot more to it than you and I might even think about. Right. Hey, uh, I just want to give a shout out to Brian Wilson listening on here. It says Nokia has one. Yeah, they have a remote Mac, uh, remote Mac Fi. Uh, mm-hmm. saying gain speed. Unfortunately, I didn't see these guys at, uh, at Angacom. So, and I, I tried to make sure I got to everyone's booth. So sorry, Brian, that I didn't see those guys. And I also want to give a shout out to the Carsonator. Uh, John, he does say we're getting some echo from you. So if you have a pair of headphones, you might want to throw them on. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not hearing the echo, so, uh, but it might be coming to the other people. So if you have a pair, stick them in your ear, man. We'll, we'll, we'll clean it up for the, for the listeners out there. Let me um, think about that. All right, you continue on. I'm going to yeah, see if I have it. I'm going to continue on with some of the slides again that we have here. So um, after we went to the Cisco booth, we did go on and we, we talked. We saw, we saw all the vendors out there. So Harmonic, they had, uh, they had also were a big focus on, um, on low latency DOCSIS. And, uh, of course, Harmonic is, is uh, doing a great job on virtualization. Uh, you can see the CASA booth in the background here. We also hit them up. They were focused on low latency DOCSIS and also virtualization. This was a huge theme at the show. Um, then uh, this is uh, one of our partners, Zcorum. This is Arch Skinner. He's, uh, he's, of course, promoting our proactive network maintenance application, doing lots of demos on that. 
And then our other partner, VX, uh, they're also, they were also demoing our proactive network maintenance application. You can see that in the background. It's branded uh, VX Vision. And a good friend of mine here, Mike Collins, was there. Uh, and then, of course, Doxis 3.1 all plastered everywhere. Just about everyone had Doxis 3.1 signs in one way or another. Uh, I gave a presentation at ANGA on uh, proactive network maintenance, of course, and during the presentation, Dr. Alberto Campos of Cable Labs uh, asked a question on PNM, and it was just flattering to have that happen because he, of course, is like the main inventor uh, of uh, proactive network maintenance. So he he was in there uh, during the panel, and, uh, of course, this is just a picture of the panel and the other speakers, so you kind of see the way that uh, Anga sets up these panels. They do a very professional job of setting up the prevent panels with having moderators and speakers. Uh, super great job on that. And, uh, again, this is another just watching a demo of uh, – I can't remember who this was. It was uh, giving – oh, this is CASA giving their low-latency DOCSIS demo. So, again, low-latency, just a huge uh, theme. And uh, – uh, I always stop in and see Bo Cromback. Uh, Cromback, uh, they're, they do return path monitoring. Uh, they do a lot with NDR and NDF. And that's, if you're not familiar with that, that's the out-of-band way of communicating from the, the CMTS in the head end to the remote PHY. So remember, in Doxis 3.1, there's not an RF connection, like or like, like a coax connection between the CMTS and the remote PHY. It's all done over IP data. It's called the CIN, and and so if you want to get analog signals from the head end to the remote PHY, it can be quite difficult. Bo Cromback has a great device. This. Uh, which, which I've shown here. Check out Cromback Tracers. Um, he's from Denmark. Awesome guy. Awesome products. We're looking at uh, also working with some of the stuff that he's doing. But I, I, he'll also be at SCT Expo if anyone's going to that. He's great stuff for uh, working with Remote Fi and getting your analog signals from the head end and back. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you, John. All right. Um, oh, hey, yeah, hey, the Carsonator said thanks, man. So Carsonator's uh, <laughs> he really appreciates it. He appreciates the headphones. <laughs> so uh, the one thing I noticed in Germany is a lot of places still require FM carriage. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the problem, right? So 88 to 108 FM, uh, how do you carry that? And I think Cronback is one of the solutions, right? Yeah. So you basically digitize it and send it over an IP stream. And then the the uh, NDF, NDR, not narrowband digital reverse, narrowband digital forward, uh, it actually allows the RPD to regenerate the signal. Yeah, so that, and that's how he got started with um, working in NDR, NDF. He was ma- mainly working with the NDF, the uh, narrowband digital forward, uh, for the European market so they could still carry FM channels in the forward path when working with remote FIs. And then he saw there was an opportunity to start doing the same with the reverse because uh, you know, people still want to look at uh, return path spectrum analysis, and um, there, there's a lot of challenges. We, you know, we're tr- we're working on we do that with software, uh, but the amount of data that comes back is a lot of data really fast. And so he has a product where if, if you're not using it with software, you can use it with his hardware. That's this box over here on the right. He was just debuting at Angocom, so it was getting a lot of interest on that. We, we think it's really interesting because um, you know some things can you can do better in in hardware than you can in software. So we're going to take a look at his product and, and see what we can do with it as well. So very cool, cool. stuff from, so, from Bo. So you said that uh, Mr. Campos, Dr. Campos, uh, had a question for you. 
So you can't just throw out that softball without me hitting it or trying to hit it. <laughs> so what was the question? Yeah, it had to be good or it was simple that he already knew, but he was setting you up. Well, it, you know, it was uh, it was more along the lines of, you know, how do we get the different silos, particularly in a European market, to work to, to collaborate together in order to integrate P&M into their systems? Because the, I think the European market hasn't had the, the sort of the Comcast of the world to say, you know, well, why, why, how, does, how is P&M successful? How is P&M making your organization more um, effective and efficient? And yeah. so it's European market's been a little bit slower to uh, embrace P&M compared to the North American market than South, even South American market. So, and, and you think about it, they probably need it more because a lot of the markets in Europe is a bad, poor, upstream, uh, I, noisier. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it depends, but I think that the challenges for the European market is so much that a plant is buried. So if you do have an impairment, um, it's not like you can just pull the tap faceplate off and, and or just even visually inspect it. Uh, their, their taps are actually buried underground. So mm. if, if you want to know if a tap is bad, you know, we can see that with P&M, and then you have much greater confidence in digging that buried tap up because you know it's bad uh, by looking at the impairments with P&M. So that's, that's some of the benefit that, that they can get from that. Yeah. So, all right. So moving on from uh, Bo's booth, we went and hit the Aris booth. We we see our, our good friend Tall, who's been on the show before. Um, Aris uh, also, you know, they are doing the same thing. They're you know have new products out, but they are also talking uh, a lot about low latency doxes. And they by far had my favorite demo with low latency doxes because they were talking about gaming and the impact on gaming. And actually, actually I will say a lot of the a lot of the vendors were. Um, it, as opposed to last year where they were saying, you know, the impacts of low latency doxes on 5G, now they're really getting pressure from gamers. And, and they're, even Cable Labs is, you know, showing, uh, you know, once you get below about 10 milliseconds, there's, you know, anything below 10 milliseconds has no impact on gamers. But above 10 milliseconds, they really show the difference of the impact on gamers, like how one gamer will always win against the other gamer if, if their latency is below 10 milliseconds and the other gamers in a 25 or 50 millisecond range, that's the impact. That gamer is always going to have, have a negative experience. And so I just, I like the visual because they were showing, you know, one gamer going against another, always losing every single time because he doesn't see the guy coming around the corner uh, in time. So he, he's going to get shot. So that was just sort of the the, the visualization. And because me, I've been a gamer all my life, and, and I, I just I like games, but I also hate losing games because of latency or lag, as, as normally it's called in a gaming world. I can really see this as being a, a, a selling or marketing feature for cable operators when you have the ability to say, look, we can guarantee you low latency, and that actually being something as a marketing thing. We've seen in studies more recently where uh, the average uh, gaming age is about, tw- the median gaming age is 27 years old. So it's, you know, it, gaming is not something that's for 11 years and 12-year-olds 12 year, 12 anymore. It's, it's actually a, a much older age. People with 27 years old, they have money. They can make the decisions of whether or not, you know, what operator they're going to go with. So I, I like the fact that we're starting to focus more on actual practical applications like gaming where this, this will make a decision of whether or not I choose one operator over the other. But what's interesting about that, I think, is... Uh... I think we've always had the capability to 
tag or give higher priority to different service flows. Uh, this is more in the uh, queue management. has nothing to do with the SIN distance or DOCSIS request grant cycle because all that stuff is less than 10 milliseconds. The only reason why you'd be more than 10 milliseconds would probably be the queuing of the packets and they're not being guaranteed over maybe a best effort flow. So this would be saying, all right, uh, I have a I have a service flow that I want to give lower latency to, so I don't want it to hide behind uh, best effort service flow. And I'm in a house that has five devices, my kids, me, my wife, everyone's doing something. How do I give this service flow higher priority? Yeah. And I think that's what we're talking about here for gaming. Because when you mentioned, you know, 10 milliseconds, I'm like, you know, I can turn around and request grant cycle in a DOCSIS network in four milliseconds at almost worst case. Even if it's a remote FI with a SIN, you know, conversion interconnect network of digital fiber that's a thousand kilometers, I could probably still turn it around under 10 milliseconds. Yeah, but you can't, what, what I saw and what, what was really impressive in some of the demos is you can't, you, you could guarantee, we, you can't guarantee it. You can do 10 milliseconds typical, but let's say someone does a speed test or someone does a big download at the same time, that 10 milliseconds can really quickly jump up to a hundred milliseconds and then drop down. Is it queuing and priority? Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, you're, you're getting capacity, you're getting saturation. So how do I guarantee more priority to this flow over another flow? Right. So that's, um, that, that was, those were the things that I found really interesting now that we're really starting to focus on, like, how can we keep it under a certain level, irregardless of whether there's a big, you know, big data spike or a yep. speed test or someone starts downloading Netflix, it just stays that, that constant level. So, so there's like three different parameters that people are looking at, as I understand, for low latency. They're, they're changing mini slot times. They're looking at AQM. And and they're looking at uh, the the uh, PGS. P, P, yeah PGM flows so PGS or PGS PGM. flows yeah so yeah, yeah. so reducing the mini slots so you know typically mini slot size are like you know two or four or eight um, microseconds right for mini slots and no, what, milli, milli, so, so, so now we're seeing like sub milliseconds so, let me let me quantify that because as I just mentioned the downstream maps how it's not mini slots it's downstream maps how quickly yeah. do I send them. The cable modem makes a request on the upstream, downstream map has the, the data grant, and then the modem sends. So you have request grant cycle. And by going finer granularity on your maps, you might be able to turn around a request grant a little bit quicker, even if the next request is piggybacked in the data and all this other stuff. I've done a lot of stuff with request grant and per modem upstream throughput and all that. And uh, as I just mentioned, that request grant cycle is much lower than 10 milliseconds. The idea of going to a one millisecond map is twofold. One, I want to get less than one millisecond request grant cycle. Well, you just said I need something under 10 milliseconds. Well, gaming, yeah. I can do that with a normal. I don't need the one millisecond map to do that. You know, I could do a four millisecond map and I probably, you know, request grant could be every other map, which would be eight milliseconds, still under 10. Mm -hmm. So the one millisecond map is actually more slated towards 5G because they have such a tight tolerance for timing, like one millisecond. So the PGS makes sense because proactive grants. Well, that's, that's Remember, that's, so we, we talked about the mini slots, and I think that's kind of like the, the first level, It's not level, the mini right? slot, but it's the map messages. Map it's messages, the yeah. map messages. So that's, but that's kind of like the first level of 
how we can get to low latency. Now, the next the next thing we can add in is what you're calling PGS, which is yeah. a lot of us a lot of service. us might be familiar with UGS, which is the unsolicited Correct. service grants, right? Or, yep. or unsolicited grant service. Grant service. Yep. So what you're talking about with PGS, um, the P is for predictive or Proactive. 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 Oh, I, I love the proactive. Yeah, I know. Proactive <laughs> grant service. So it's like it's like UGS. The thing I kind of don't like about PGS is it's a service flow um, uh, designation that you'd have to do in a CM file. It's not like some generic CMTS config. So I, I, and I talked about that a l- little bit with some people. It's it's not something that we want to have pinned up all the time because that's always going to eat up upstream. It has like to, to be, be something DQOS, that's dynamic. Right? Like UGS, yeah, like DQOS and, yeah. and UGS. You'd want it to be able to like work through packet cable multimedia or something like that, where the gaming flow pops up, it assigns it a PGS flow, and now I just I make a request to kind of start it up like UGS, and then I proactively give it grants. How, and how say, do we detect that? How do we know that someone like how does someone know that I'm sitting down and playing Fortnite and now it's going to start giving me PGS packets to to Therein that? lies the question marks, right? Therein lies the question marks. Like who do we trust to assign it? So I suspect we're going to end up nailing it up and not being dynamic. Uh, can we nail it up? That sucks. And I, I, yeah. cable operators aren't going to want to do that, and then the, I'm not going to get my PGS flows. So it, it is a good question. Like, if if I was hanging up 5G microcells and they had a DOCSIS 3.1 modem assigned to it, then it's not really uh, an end customer, right? It's not a residential customer. Yeah. It's a microcell. So I could nail it up for those devices because I have minimum number of devices and no one's doing anything else other than uh, cell phone backhaul yeah. for that modem. So I could do it that way, right? So it almost sounds so, like PGS is made for dedicated use purposes, like, oh, I've got a 5G microcell. We're going to give that a yeah. PGS, but the gamers yeah. aren't going to get PGS. And then back to your one millisecond map, uh, and I'm always concerned about downstream overhead of map traffic because every downstream primary has map traffic. It's overhead. You're eating away your downstream throughput to support more upstreams. And if you double the maps, you just double the amount of overhead. Yeah. The key here is we're only going to double the maps every one millisecond for an OFDMA upstream. So when you do OFDMA upstream, DOCSIS 3.1, it's a faster pipe, which means if I have a bunch of upstream packets, in time, a faster pipe makes it less time. So now I can do request grant, and that serialization time is real small. That one millisecond map makes more sense for an OFDMA upstream. They kind of go hand in hand. Right. So if I still have single carrier qualm ATDMA upstreams, they'll still do a two millisecond map. The only one millisecond map I'll have is for the OFDMA. And then I have a faster upstream. I have a faster turnaround time. I could use PGS. So there's a lot of things that come together. Now, the question is, how do we really operationalize it? How do we tag the proper service flows? All that stuff is yet to be seen. You know, it'll be one of those cookie cutter best practice. Here you go. You know, yeah. here's how you, we really do it. All right. So, what about AQM? That's um, adaptive queue management. Active, active queue management. Active queue management. So, how does that play in then? So, so people have asked us about that because it's part of Docsis three one. And I talked to our own engineers, and they're like, "It's a modem thing, um, so the modem has to support it. Uh, the CMTS wise, it just passes it through for the cable modem for, I believe, upstream. I can't remember." Um, but I found out that AQM was like this first step to get lower latency, but the new PGS, um, 
one millisecond map, like you talked about, um, uh, active Q man or Q multiple Q flows that maybe Eris talked about, or even, um, who was the other guy you talked with? Harmonic. Harmonic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably talked about Q management more yeah. than anything. Um, those things kind of, do I use the word Trump? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I used that word when, when I was over, uh, in Europe, and, and they're like, that's not a good word to use. <laughs> I don't, we used to use it all the time. Right? I know, I it, know, it's fine. It, it supersedes. Trump is it, fine. It trumps it, yeah. <laughs> it, negates, it negates the need. Hey, man, that's a good word, negate and trump. It means yeah. negate. <laughs> Negative. <laughs> so these other new things negate the need for AQM. Yeah, okay. That's kind of my point. <laughs> all right so yeah so what you know what i talked when i talked to all the vendors it does seem like they're using different methods to achieve low latency but everyone everyone is focused on low latency right now i think that's gonna be good for the industry overall it's one of those key buzzwords now yeah absolutely oh, yeah. if you talk to someone at the show low latency came up so and if uh if you talk to my good friend surreal here we've been we've been friends for a long long time especially after the beer started flowing who knows what else came up? So that yeah, that's also something about the Angacom show that about uh, four or five p.m. the conversations start to go off of technology and more into social type things because um, beer starts flowing. Uh, Gaiax, I did stop by their booth. They're starting to do a lot of cool things now. So these are the guys, John, that I've talked about before that do, have the large SC Qualm above a gigahertz and they're running ten ten gig. 10 gig ethernet um, but they're so this is their product right now that that uh, just does that uh, currently so they have some head end stuff then they have the modules that go in the amplifiers but they've been they've been making them much much smaller now and putting them ASIC so what used to be big is now so small this this is an amplifier or this is not 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 an amplifier I apologize this is a what they call a sidecar that goes right beside a, an amplifier so you have the coax comes in at the bottom goes into here, this, this injects your 10 gig uh, onto the coax at the higher frequencies, and then it comes out at the bottom and then would go into the amplifier. So this is how we're basically injecting 10 gigabit Ethernet over coax. Uh, but you know their goal is they're, they're making this so small, it, and it also, because now they're using ASICs instead of FPGAs, it's also consuming very little power. So well, would you consider this an overlay network? Yeah, absolutely it's an overlay network. Um, yeah. so it can, uh, but the, the thing is, uh, and I know it saves us from running fiber deeper yes. by allowing us to utilize the existing coax. And in Germany or in Europe, there's a lot of underground coax and we can't afford to probably dig it up and put fiber. So how do we get faster speeds on coax? Right. No, it's, you know, it's, it's not just European market. We're, we're, we're looking at it here. I know, I know like Jeff Finkelstein is looking at this. Some, I know some uh, charter folks are looking at this, a Cox charter, because we, it's, you know, Comcast is the first that's trying to go to node plus zero, but a, a number of the other operators just find that it's really expensive to try to go node plus zero, but they still yeah. want to put an RPD at the end of a cascade of amplifiers and if you want to put an RPD at the end of a casca- you know, remote FI device at the end of a cascade of amplifiers, you need 10 gig at the end of that cascade. And this technology uh, gives you the ability to have 10 gig at the end of the cascade of amplifiers because you have very small devices that eventually will just go in the lid of amplifiers. 
um, right, you know, right now you put this this amplifier mo- or this uh, this module right beside the amplifiers. You put it in line, and you have a 10 gig overlay. Eventually, they're working to get this small enough where you can just go right into the lid of the amplifier, the fiber nodes, the amplifiers, so you can transport it down the whole cascade. So, I mean, this I think we'll also be seeing this in the U.S. market in the in the near future. Do you feel like it's more of a play for underground? Like if I had aerial, would I just run fiber, like a stub cable? Uh, no. I, you know, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think there's opportunities for both where this could be both aerial and, and, let's, and let's look at it. Let's be honest here and transparent. The it's still RF. It's still coax. Yeah. You have to modulate a signal just like Doxus does. They're doing it up in the mocha frequencies above one gigahertz. The channel itself that they're modulating might be huge. It's not a six megahertz wide channel. It's that's not like a 200, two megahertz. Yeah, 200 megahertz. Uh, is it that much or is it more? I I, 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 don't, I can't remember. Yeah, it could be more. I, I know it's at least 200 megahertz because I, I know one of the things they were talking about is uh, some operators are considering knocking out channels and putting this sub one one gigahertz. So they'll run it in, in a lower frequency. It's they're they're not constrained to running above a gigahertz. They could run yeah. right in the in the base or you know, right in the main broadband where we typically yeah. run channels. Yeah. So it's weird. It's weird. It's like, wait a minute. Doesn't Doxus 3.1 do the same thing? We modulate a signal. We send it over RF. So how is this any better? Um, one, it's, it's, it's going higher frequency, but if we put it below one gig, couldn't we still just do it with Doxus? Yeah. And if, if the RF works, the RF works. Um, here, if we go above one gig, it's still an RF signal. It's modulated. It has to be regenerated amplified if you will because of the coax loss so if if i go through a lot of coax i might have to regenerate every so many feet yeah i still have rf attenuation yeah oh yeah it's going to run into the same issues that you have with 3.1 and i think that's one of the things they were talking about is you know this is not meant to be a 3.1 replacement it's meant to augment it's meant to overlay it okay so yeah, I think it. Does, I think it has a, definitely has a place, and it's always better to have more options than none. You know. Yep. So that was the Angus show. That was, uh, you know, that's pretty much what happened over there. And uh, the technologies, like I said, I think low latency seemed to be the big, uh, the big thing that everyone is is focusing on right now. Well, how do you uh, did you hear anything about FTX at all? FTX was was not a big topic on on any booth, I, and I. I don't even think I saw an FDX demo when I went at, at the booth that I was at. So how about two Oh four? Did you talk to anyone? That's yeah. Yeah. At the, the Aris booth, I kind of glossed over those slides. The Aris booth was showing an, an active, uh, two Oh four. Well, they, it wasn't so much a two Oh four demo, but they were showing, I think kind of what you were talking about where you can sort of have a flexible split by using yes. FDX, but it wasn't so much to show the demo of FDX as saying, uh, maybe we don't need diplex filters, but we can use, uh, uh, we can use the capabilities of FDX to allow us to have, you know, move I, the frequency I, around. I mean, to be personal, perf- perfectly honest, um, the, the idea was called flag, uh, static FDX. And I don't like that term because FDX implies full duplex, which means upstream, downstream is on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the static idea, um, I think it took it from an, uh, an appendix of the spec itself. We really should call it flexible upstream, downstream. Basically, you're saying that you have an upstream and downstream that can be flexible in how you set it. 
there's no real diplex filter in the amplifier. You put echo cancellation in there that allows a diplex filter to not be like this, but to be be like this. Yeah, because you know, I, I think you mentioned at the sl- at the show, uh, what is it, ten percent? Uh, no, normally a diplex filter is at least twenty. Twenty percent. So uh, the higher frequency, you, highest, go, you can explain yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, whatever the highest frequency is in your upstream, add twenty percent. That's the the no man's land of the diplex filter. So if we go two hundred. 20% of 200 is 40 megahertz. That's why we have a 204 slash 254 split because at least 20%. 40, if we 40, 40 megahertz of just, we've, we've just lost yeah. 40 megahertz of our, of our spectrum. Yeah, because you need that isolation between upstream and downstream of that diplex footer, so you need that much separation. Yeah. If you went to 400 megahertz, you'd need 80 megahertz of diplex filter Dead space. buffer zone. So now you're eating into even more downstream spectrum, right? And the spec for FDX was 684. 20% of 684 would be 150 megahertz of no man's land, you know, of wasted. So it's like if I could develop an amplifier that didn't have diplex filters and I could remotely change that split anytime I want, I would get amplifiers that I could deploy today and do a 204 upstream if I could because I have CPE out in the field that might support it, the 3.1 modems. Now, granted, you might have to make sure that you bought the right CPE, but it is part of the spec for 3.1. And then later on, if there is a FDX type of CPE that can support more OFDMA, more OFDM on the downstream and upstream, uh, and do the same type of echo cancellation in the modem itself, then I can say, all right, let's change my HFC plant to a, a, a 450 megahertz upstream split. Because I, I can eat into my downstream or or maybe I expanded my downstream to 1.8 gigahertz. Yep. You know, so... It's it's how do we we're in that 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 what's that word for it? Um, we can't decide yet on HFC upgrade because it's analysis paralysis again. Before yeah, I think a lot of operators are struggling. Even even go to eighty five megahertz operators are struggling. If that's the right thing to do now, or they go to two hundred four megahertz, that's a big it's a it's a huge huge cost. Not not just buying the parts. But the, the man hours involved in going out and making this upgrade is a huge decision for any operator yeah. to do. And, and it'll, it'll always come back to, well, if we do all that, why don't we just do fiber to the home? Yeah. And that'll, <laughs> that'll keep coming up, right? Yeah, that's also a decision. And then you run the numbers, and then you run the numbers, like, uh, it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, well, that's everything I wanted to cover. Anything uh, you saw at the show that uh, I didn't cover? Um, I agree with you. The beer flows usually at three, three thirty, four o'clock. <laughs> so I noticed like even our own booth, we didn't have beer. So our booth would get quieter. And I'm like, you know why it is? Cause the other booths have beer. Yeah. It's got, you guys are <laughs> cheap, man. That's sad. I know. I never came around <laughs> your booth at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> we had fun in there, but uh, yeah, there was no beer. So we go to other people's booths and then we get their beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a good show. Uh, Cologne, Germany is a is a nice town, nice city. Uh, it was great weather. It was a little warm, and then it cooled off. And but we had a good time. Um, the booth was, you know, the only thing I complain I kind of have is SCTE does it right. They schedule show floor and workshops, not overlapping so much. Whereas this show, the booth was open, and I'm doing it because I'm selfish here. From yeah, nine that, to that's six, only I if you have a there. booth do you care. Oh, my God. I, I didn't care. I, I could attend the sessions. I, I spoke at sessions. I, I could go to the booths whenever I wanted to. I, I think if you're yeah. attending, it's awesome. It's the best of both worlds. I think I, I think it's perfect. 
So I'm in the booth from nine to six, two days in a row, then nine to four, I think the third day. I know. And then you have these lull periods with no one's coming through because you know what's happening. They're at the general sessions. Yeah. They're at the workshops. And I'm like, why do we have the show floor open if there's no one really walking around? I mean, agreed on your part. It actually makes it less crowded for some people that don't go to the yep. sessions. They get a lot more one-on-one time with me and Jason and the guys in our booth. Absolutely, it's. I think I think that from that standpoint, it's good because the floor is sometimes really crowded. It, when the sessions are going on, if you don't want to attend that session, you go have you got really close time with with the vendors that you want to talk to. So it's perfect. I think, I think Anga and I, does it right, yeah. and I, a special <laughs> thanks to Karsten and and Codding, who I always work with. They're fantastic and in planning everything and setting up the the, the sessions. They're awesome folks to work with. <laughs> you just want to keep getting invited back, <laughs> <laughs> possibly. <laughs> No, it is a good time, but I, I think next year you and I should like schedule a Google Hangout on the show floor somewhere. We'll set up like two seats in the middle of the aisle somewhere and just start like <laughs> transmitting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who's going to say anything? Uh, yeah, we can get away with it. <laughs> yeah, just get a big camera and people will think it's legit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so do you have anything coming up? Are you uh, traveling anywhere or speaking anywhere? Um, uh, what is going on? Oh, SCTE, in, in, it's yep. actually... September 30th, October 1st, 2nd, 3rd, whatever it is, in New Orleans. Yep. I am moderating one of the panels with uh, Tom Clunan and John Ulm, both of Aris Comsco, okay. uh, on HFC uh, transition into like 25 gig or capacity planning, uh, a, a topic near and dear to my heart, capacity planning. So uh, I will be moderating their panel, which is good because it's just two guys, so they don't have to divvy up 20 minutes a piece. They can at least get 30 minutes a piece. And we're trying to make it that they can intermingle kind of like you and I used to do, you know, do a presentation yeah. as like one big president and just intermingle between each other. It breaks it up a little bit more. And I think it'll make a nice cohesive type of presentation and session. So, uh, so that's on Tuesday, October 1st, uh, seems like far away, but if you think about it, it's probably only what, Three and a half months. Yeah, it, it does, time yeah. it does go fast. You know, it's, we're yeah. getting old, man. Times times going by fast. <laughs> I know it. I feel it. So yeah, I'm I'm going to. Um, I don't know if you're going to the uh, Cable Labs Summer Conference that's coming up um, in the first week August of August. I think third, fourth, fifth, or something like that. Yep. And this uh, is the last decided, one that they're having a Keystone. After that, uh, uh, they're going to be moving it to Denver. So last time at Keystone. Okay. Yeah, are they changing feet. the dates? Are they, yeah, no kidding. Are, are they changing the dates as well? Do I don't know? know. I don't know. We'll find out at this one. So looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll have some people there. And and after I saw your fireside chat last year, I said, I think that's the best bang for the buck. Yeah. I thought that got good traction, good people sitting in. Yeah. I mean, I quizzed you. I quizzed you on about three or four different questions. Yeah. I think you moderated uh, Larry Walcott and a couple other guys. Jason Roop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was good. Um, and we usually have John Chapman and Alon Bernstein doing maybe one of the workshops in the big hall, but I didn't, I was supporting a tabletop that really had no one coming by. That's because you and, were at the tabletop, John, <laughs> they would see you and turn the other way. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like I was way in the back and then when the beer started coming out, I was close to the beer. So yeah. people came out. <laughs> no surprise there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. All right. Yeah, that's that's uh, in a month and a half, five six weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Beginning of August. Yeah, I think my phone app for my flights has fifty days or something till it comes. So. Gotcha. It's coming up soon. So. Yeah. All right. 
I think we covered it all, John. So thank you so much for your time. Everyone, thanks for watching. You know, we every month we're trying to bring you something good. So if you like what you're watching, please hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Hit the notification bell. If you're listening on uh, your podcaster, please keep subscribing. Thanks, everyone, for your time. Have a great weekend. We're signing off. So, so long. All right.